So welcome to the Mal and Johnny Show. And we're looking at heroes in today's programme, and one in particular, Elvis Presley. Now then, Johnny Tudor, do you remember hearing the first Elvis Presley records? Were you around then? Yeah, I bought it when I was a little kid. I was only, how old was I? Blick your neck. I was in junior school, and I bought Heartbreak Hotel. Right. Since my baby left me. <laughs> yeah, I bought that. And the other, I think Blue Suede Shoes was on the other side. That was the first thing with Elvis, I, I, I remember. But then I remember years later, I was never a big fan after that, but then I was in Birmingham doing a cabaret, and I was bored in the daytime, and there was a film on Elvis on tour, right. and I went to watch it. And I tell you what, he sang the American Trilogy, and it just blew me away, gave me, you know, goosebumps. And I've been putting it in my act ever since. Wow. So it really impressed me, you know, the way he did it. His charisma came over. Yeah. Not so much his voice, but the, the way he came on stage with the big cape, you know. Yes. And they played like, uh, what was the opening music? Da, 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 da. Oh, yeah. Also, Zach Lallis. Yeah. So that was his opening music. He came onto that. No, I, I was just blown away with his charisma and his, his showmanship. You know, because people, we obviously, we've we've all grown up with Elvis, different generations, yeah. and he's either brand new or old hat, and then you, you rediscover him and all that. But for people listening who weren't alive when those records, Elvis Presley records, came out, um, what what were they like? I mean, were they was it that astounding? Was it that different? Well, he was the first, wasn't he? He was the first real rock and roller, if you like. Mm. He was the king, <laughs> and and it, and he kept being banned off television because he swiveled his hips too much. And Americans were very prudish in those days, you know, where he was too sexual, can't have that. Yeah. I remember doing a show um, on one of the, my ships. I was doing a show and uh, I used to do it uh, like a parody of Tom, uh, not Tom Jones, of um, Elvis. And I'd be swinging my hips about and someone called me a Bulgarian. Because <laughs> <laughs> you look at it now and it looks so tame, doesn't it? It looks well, so tame. Yeah. But the, the whole That's world right. was very different in the 50s and early 60s. It was a different it world was. and it's really hard to understand how he could have caused so much... Well, you know, it was moral decline, wasn't it? I mean, it's a bit like oh, when, yeah. you know, Rock Around the Clock came out with Bill Haley. You couldn't have a more cuddly guy than Bill Haley, could you? I know, but uh, they were ripping up the seats yeah. in, the, in the picture house, <laughs> dancing in the aisles. Decadence. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you bought those early records. Um, yeah. But then, you know, what is it? Some, I actually think it was Bruce Springsteen said, Elvis, Elvis didn't die, you know, from hamburgers. He died when he joined the army, you know, because he went from being this rebel to yeah. to being, you know, part of the establishment, having his hair cut, you know. It was a know. clever move, actually. Mm. Very clever move on his part, I think. Well, that wasn't his part. It was his, his manager, wasn't it? Colonel Parker. Colonel Parker. He wasn't a colonel at all. No. What? He was some uh, barker on, on a on a fairground or something. He was just a bit of a, of a charlatan, really. Yeah. And he wouldn't let him go anywhere else. And the reason I read was he wouldn't go and sing outside the country because Colonel Parker couldn't leave because he was an illegal alien. <laughs> he was from... He was hard. Dutch, Dutch or something. I think he was Dutch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was, you know, so the whole thing about... Because you, I, I've spent quite a lot of time down in Tupelo in Mississippi, and yeah. uh, it, by accident, really, and and a bit like you, I, 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 you know, when I was growing up, Elvis was old hat. You know, by the by the late sixties, early seventies, no one was really interested. Then I saw one of those films. You know, it was yeah. he was in Las Vegas getting ready with the band. I remember the That's guitarist right, yeah. had this fantastic flowery Fender um, Telecaster guitar. It was just yeah. it just caught my imagination. And then those, you know, the comeback show in nineteen sixty eight, which. I didn't well, see it. But he's all in black leather. Black leather. Yeah. You know, and he's just sitting they around with his He mates. did that, you know, because of Tom Jones. Because uh -huh. Tom, was, at that time, had made it really big in Vegas. And it was like, 
oh well, I better get back on stage. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and that's that's what they say anyway. Yeah. So going down, you know, you go to and you talk about people being dirt poor. I mean, yeah. his family were weren't dirt. They were they didn't have the dirt. Tupelo, Mississippi. Not so much a stable as a shack. This is the birthplace of Elvis Presley. You know, they used to live no. in these shotgun houses in, in Tupelo, Mississippi. And I, I got to meet Miss Annie Presley. Well, Miss Annie, Becky said I should come and visit you because you were one of Gladys's, well, one of her oldest friends. I guess. Anyway, <laughs> we were friends for years. And she was one of my best friends. Do you remember when you first met Gladys? When I first met her was shortly after I married. My husband and Vernon were first cousins, and we all went to church at the same church after I married, down there at the Assembly of God, and uh, Gladys's uncle was pastor there at that time. And then over the years, we just became best friends. I've told a lot of people she was always the first one when I needed her or needed a friend. She was the first one there. When my baby died, she was the first one there, my daughter. She picked the baby up and laid her on another bed till the doctor could get there after she died. These were tough days. You lost a child, and Gladys lost a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elvis would have had a twin twin brother. Mm-hmm. They, they were hard times. Well, it was a hard time for them. <laughs> she missed the one that died mm-hmm. terribly bad because she never could have no more. And that left Elvis an only child, and uh, they did pet the heck out of him. (laughs) But he was a good kid, considering everything. He really was. Elvis was the only child, and and a treasured child, Mm -hmm. a child that Gladys thought maybe was was very special. Yeah, very protective, very protective. (laughs) (laughs) We'd be sitting on my porch. And somebody, some of the kids would come by, Miss Gladys, you better hurry. The bunch of boys is on Elvis. The hand boys was bad to jump on him and jump on mine, too, because they didn't have no brothers to take up for him. Gladys, she wouldn't even take the steps. She'd jump off my porch. And it was, what, about four foot off the ground? <laughs> She'd jump off my porch and go in a run and pull every one of them off and tell them they didn't leave her son alone. She'd give them a whoop and send them home. And sometimes she'd give them a lick or two. He was yeah. a, a real mama's boy. But he loved his mother. You know, yeah. he, he, I, I, I probably told you this story before, but when Dorothy Squires was singing in a nightclub in, in Hollywood, it was called the Moulin Rouge. Right. Apparently Elvis used to creep in in, in disguise to listen to her sing My Mother's Day because that was her big record at the time. And of course, he loved his mother. Yeah. You know, and, there was, and when he died, Dorothy said, poor Elvis, he was my biggest fan. <laughs> 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 oh, that's good. You would say they were terribly poor. I mean, I met a guy called Frank, the Reverend Frank Smith. He's very, very right. he was a pastor of the uh, Pentecostal Church. Uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Everybody calls you sir down in Tupelo, which is really nice. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. They're very, they're very polite. Yeah. So Elvis <laughs> yeah. went to his, and the family all went to his little chapel, the Reverend Frank Smith, mm. and he taught him to play Old Shep. Now the Presley family were they a, were they a spiritual family? Yes. They worshiped in the church like we did. We would raise our hands and sing loud and sometimes clap our hands. Now, Elvis, he poured his heart into the singing and what he's doing. I've always played the guitar, and I think he got his wound to play by me, you know, because I was there. That's the first time I remember him, because he would come to church with his family, 
but he didn't know he couldn't play guitar. But he got his inspiration to play for me, you know. We listened on Saturday night, we listened to the Grand Ole Opry. And, uh, and I would, I, was, I would stay awake on Saturday night. I would listen to them making runs, making chords, and I'd try to find that in my hands on the guitar. And I think Evans did too. But I would go to his house and I'd play with him and I'd show him how to make a few chords and runs while I was doing that. Old Shep was the song that Elvis sang at his, at his first talent show and... Now he got it for me and I got it on the, there was a man that was on the Grand Ole Opry was the singing high sheriff, that's what he called him. And I got this song from him and then Elvis got it from me. Now it's, they, this song is about a, a boy and his dog and back yonder, when dogs or horses or some of our animals would get old or get sick, they'd just put them out of their misery, kill them. And uh, this song is about a boy and like his dog, the dog got old. Listen to When I was a lad, and old ship was a pup, over hills and meadows we rode. Just a boy. Um, oh, wow. You know, and, and I think he, Elvis entered a talent competition and came second, singing Old Shep. But, um, old Shep, that's it, boy, yes, yeah, Old Shep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I also went to the, right, it's called uh, the hardware, Tupelo Hardware Store, and I met yeah. the son of the guy who actually sold Elvis his first guitar. Elvis Presley Enterprises actually own the whole birth site now. They put a musical exclusion zone around the house. All music other than Elvis music is forbidden. That's why I've come down here to Tupelo. This is the place he bought his first guitar. He came here with his mum, he wanted to buy a rifle. She said, if you buy a guitar, I'll go halves with you. So he bought a guitar. I came to Tupelo, Mississippi, to see a poor man's two-room shack. Well, I came to see the birthplace of the king. And the more I get to know him, as the story gets rolled back, it was gospel music made the poor boy sing, made Elvis sing. Wow. But I mean, Elvis, like you say, he's always been there. He's made more money since he died than when he... Yes. <laughs> do you remember where you were when he died? Yes, I do. I, I, I can remember. Where were I was you? coming home from a gig late at night. Right. I think I've been down the south coast, like Bournemouth or Brighton or something, and all of a sudden this announcement goes, the king is dead. Yeah. I thought, which kings are you talking about? <laughs> because it was Elvis. <laughs> Yeah. It was yeah. in the 70s, wasn't it? Early it, 70s? 77, something like that. I remember actually it was... Something like yeah, that, yeah. I was in bed listening to the radio, listening to Swansea Sound on a massive yeah. radio because it sounded great. And yeah, the, the news that Elvis had passed away. Yeah. It's a, it is but a, since then, he's made more money than ever. I mean, because the revivals and, and, and of course he's got... This, they had this show a couple of years, well, about a year ago I went to see it, where the, the, the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra right. was, had been rescored to play with the the tape of, of uh, Elvis, and he's on a big screen, and the orchestra's on stage. You swear you were watching an Elvis concert. It was phenomenal. Wow. wow. Um, and, and she was there. What's her name? Priscilla was there, and she was doing a bit of announcing in between and stuff. Yeah. And a friend of mine, his son, Dominic, was the pianist, and he got me some tickets. And, of course, Dominic, he was fantastic, Dominic, playing, you know, all those jazzies and, and those rock and roll riffs and that, you know. Yeah. 
It's a great experience. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, other things, like I mean, the music. Now, the, the sad thing about the music was that Colonel Parker, although he was brilliant at his job, he he sort of missed the big picture. He missed the big picture because he was so busy being, you know, a, a, a carnival. Uh, you know, Making money. Yeah. So he <laughs> would be more interested in selling merchandise, you know, for a couple of dollars yeah. a time rather than thinking. And the, so the music. Uh, if you wanted a song, you know, Elvis, if you look at Elvis's credit on his records, I mean, he has he has written some of the biggest songs in rock and roll history, except he didn't. If you no, wanted, he didn't. If you wanted he to pinch the ideas. Well, if you wanted a song of Elvis to sing one of your songs, it would be, you know, it'd be your name. And then the next name next to me, he hadn't done anything. It would be Elvis Presley because he'd get get the publishing. As, as well, yeah, yeah, know? that's right, yeah. So, uh, oh, yeah. What imagine. happened was when people did, like, you know, we're, we're good. I think the lads who did Suspicious mm. Minds will give them a, a new career. Um, yeah. You know, the first records they they wrote and they produced, and it was their their record. And then when the Colonel, you know, next time round he's got a hit, he said, "Well, you know, we if we're going to write the songs for him, we're going to have to have the publishing." And they said, "No, you know." And then his career would dip every so often. That's the Colonel brought yeah, in that yeah. old trick again. Yeah, yeah, because he he wanted fifty percent of the royalties. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, God, blink your neck. Yeah. But the thing is, I I, I saw Elvis been interviewed once. And he really hated doing those films <laughs> because he and and I remember Jerry Lee Lewis saying, "He sold out, man. He's not a rock and roller no more. He's a film star." Yeah. Yeah. Because really, he was a rock and roll singer. Yeah, I mean, he sang, he sang some good ballads, we know, but really, you know, you know, rock and roll. He, he was a, a good old rock and roller, wasn't he? Like yeah. a hill, like a because what he did, he copied, I think, the, the American black um, musicians. Yes, and you hear a, a, one, and then he do it, but he sounded a bit black himself when you just heard the records. Well, I think that's what he said, isn't it? Um, now then, the, the guy who used to run Sun Records, Sam Phillips, he also Sam say. Phillips, yeah. You know, because Elvis came in and he, he was doing a couple of ballads in this. He wanted yeah. to make a record for his mum. And then he, yeah, yeah. you know, well, that's all right, Mama, you know. And he suddenly realised, because he used to work with a lot of black artists, a lot of blues yeah, and yeah, soul, yeah. soul artists who would come up from that's the Delta. That's all right, my Mama. That's mm-hmm. one, yeah. yeah. And he, um, he suddenly found a white guy who sounded black, you know, and he said that's, that's the... Right. You know, from a marketing point of view, particularly in America, in the in the deep south, then <laughs> you know, it's yeah, yeah. it's not completely sorted now. But then to have that as combination uh, as a marketing tool, it was fantastic. I mean, he sold. Well, they used to think. Yeah. They used to think that Tom Jones was black when they heard him sing. Yeah. Because he had the same kind of you know vibe. Really. Yeah. And I I think, I think that's why he took off with Not Unusual in the states. He sounded like a black guy. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so he, I think he sold his contract for thirty thousand dollars, which would have been a lot of money. But do you think how who much did the guy from Sun Records? Sam Phillips. Yeah. Because he realised he said he was never gonna he, he wasn't gonna be able to take him to the next level. You know. No, so he no. might as well cash in now and use the money yeah. to do you know what he did Jerry Lee Lewis and Johnny Cash. You know, the million right, dollar yeah. trio or whatever. They were called or quartet, yeah, so it, yeah, it, and and I think you know we, I suppose we don't really. It's it's hard to understand now without any social media. How would you break an artist from that part of the world? You know, well, RCA yeah, wants to yeah. get them on. You've got to get on all the the local radio stations and then just build. It. Yeah, I suppose that's what happens. Yeah, yeah. you know. I, I, I got, I've always been. I've always like liked this stuff. I mean, even when he sang um, Cause my heart's on fire too. Da, 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 da. What the heck was it? It was Surrender. Come back with Surrender. He made the record, yeah. and he went to the charts. He'd sing all sorts of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. amazing. Um, 
Now then, uh, Miss Kay Bain was a lady, uh, when I used to go down to Tupelo, I used to do her a t- her morning show, Miss Kay Bain. Yeah. Kay and Buddy Bain. Ba- Buddy, pa- uh, well, sadly, was no longer with us. We're so excited to have Mal Pope with us, and, and uh, we have a surprise, Mal. I have a surprise the same as you. Right. You came three or four years ago to the morning show the first time that I met you. Yes. And Jim Corrant brought you here. That's right, yes. It's his guitar. Thank you, Jim. Oh, right. <laughs> and so when you started to leave, of course, I was telling about all the places I was going to be and all that good stuff. And how did you get said the to title me, of this Jim song? Jim said, Mal, that was a great morning. You just sang with the Queen of Tupelo. And I thought, that's a song. That's a song. All right. So let's see the Queen of Tupelo. I came to Tupelo on uh, Wednesday evening, on Thursday morning. I was minding my own business, fast asleep, dreaming of home, when all of a sudden, somebody banged on the door. It was five o'clock. Didn't know where I was. Then I suddenly remembered I had an appointment at a television station. I was going to do the morning show with Miss Kay Bain. And I got there and she looked after me so well. It was like, it was like Mother's Day for me, but on Thursday. And she set up my microphone for me to sing and uh, I'm here doing a program about about Elvis this time. And uh, Kay was telling me about how she'd worked with Elvis in the past, and uh, I said, it'd be great to get you to, uh, to be a part of my radio program. She said, well, you know, I'm busy. I've got two shows with the old folks today, and then I'm going to Houston. And uh, She said, but maybe Sunday. Maybe we could find us some time on, on Sunday. Maybe I can get a window going on. So that was nice. And uh, it's funny, because we come from completely different worlds. As we were driving away, we just sang the song Amazing Grace, and I think we'd maybe touched something that was common in both of us when we sang that song. And as we were driving away, Jim, who was looking after me, said, well, you had a great morning there with the Queen of Tupelo. I thought, that sounds like a great start for a song. But uh, she, she told all these stories when he was just coming through. You know, when he was just yeah. becoming, you know, f- coming famous and where he wouldn't be top of the bill, you know, and he'd, he'd, he'd be traveling. Buddy Holly above him. Yeah. Well, Kay yeah. and Buddy Bain would be at sometimes, you know, because they were like the radio stars and Elvis was just just a local boy making making records. You know, and they travel around yeah. this station wagon. You know, you think now, even with you, with your PV, you know, sound system in the 70s, you know, you had to have yeah. a big car. Well, they used yeah, to travel right, around yeah. just a double bass, some drums and a guitar, and they'd go around this, like a station wagon to do all these gigs, you know. Yeah, 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 and travel lots of, I mean, America's vast, so it'd be mm. huge distances, I should think, as well. Yeah. With yeah. all the gigs. Um, oh, my God. As you say, it's, you know, he's making more money now. If you, if you ever get a chance to go to Graceland, it's it's yeah. it looks like the White House, but it's it is smaller. But across yeah. the road, I th- and I think it's down to Priscilla and you know her business partners that they've developed the whole site into Elvis Presley yeah. World. They've got museums for the cars and the airplanes and the whole lot. Um, yeah, yeah. Nice little touches. If you if you go into the Graceland and they've got they haven't got barriers, but they've got little sort of um, like not chains, but uh, like ropes. Ropes. Ropes off. Yeah, yeah. And if you if you step over the rope or you lean over too much to look into something or other. Um, mm. There's a voice comes and says, "Will you please go behind the barrier? Thank you, thank you very much." Yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, my agent Bunny, Bunny Lewis, he, he was quite a big. He was a producer of a decade at one point. He went. He said, "I went to Graceland." Says, "Oh, Bunny was frightfully posh. He was one of those." Yeah, you know. Bunny. He had like the the uh, the, the, the George Crossman boys in the SEF. Oh. So I said, "What was it like?" He said, 
Well, it was a big house, but there wasn't much taste. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know what it looked like inside the jungle room. And the all jungle that. room, yeah. And uh, what was the room? There was one room with a chag pile carpet on the floor, on the walls. And on the ceiling, it was like. <laughs> and he, I think he'd seen a picture of the president who who had three yeah. or four TVs with all the different stations on at the same time, so he had a room with three or four TVs on, so he could have he could have. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they say he was a very generous bloke. I mean, for instance, he give people Cadillacs for Christmas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, his mates that work with him, and then he go, "Oh yeah, I bought your car," you know. Yeah. I mean, I know he had plenty of money, but that's beside the point. I mean. He, he was just a generous bloke, apparently. Yeah. He'd come I, from nothing, but he thought, well, I'm going to share my wealth with my mates. Yeah. When I was in... I was, he's, he's into karate as well. That's right. And that's where all that sort of, you know... Yeah, that, all that, that stuff bit, yeah. The show in the show came on, isn't it? I met this guy called yeah. Jerry Schilling. Jerry Schilling. And I'd read... Obviously, when I went to Tupelo and to, to Memphis, I, I became a bit of a an Elvis, you know, well, freak, really. I was just... You know, I'd read everything about him and just, you know, get yeah, the backstory. Yeah. And there was, uh, and I'd seen a picture of this guy called Jerry Schilling, who was one of the Memphis Mafia. They were the guys who went around with him everywhere. And I was yeah, walking yeah. walking through Memphis, just waiting to get a, a cab to uh, the airport to go home. And I saw him. I saw Jerry Schilling. What? So I went. Oh, wow. um, so I, I I chased him. <laughs> it was he was in the Memphis um, press bureau or something. And I yeah. said, I'm really sorry to bother you. I'm from, you know, I said I'm from the BBC, making a radio programme about Elvis. Would you mind if I had a little chat with you? Because uh, you're Jerry mm. Schilling, aren't you? Jerry Schilling was one of the legendary Memphis Mafia who lived, worked and played with Elvis. Graceland is now a museum, but once it had been a home for Elvis and also for Jerry Schilling. It wasn't a crazy party place as you would think. You know, we, we partied more out in the West Coast. <laughs> <laughs> because Elvis sort of almost ad adopted you in a way, the way he sort of saw you on the, on the sidelines and brought yeah. you into the family. Well, you know, when I was 12 years old, uh, I, used, I, was into, I had been into music for about two years. I was really into rhythm and blues. I, I listened to Dewey Phillips and stuff. And I lived in North Memphis where Elvis lived. I didn't know that at the time. And... Uh, the first night Dewey played Elvis's record, I was listening. The next day, I went to my local playground, try to get up a football game or a basketball game or something, and there were five older guys trying to get up a, t a game. That's how unpopular Elvis was. And uh, Red West knew I played grade school football. Said, "You want to play with us?" And I said, "Sure." You know. And we got in the huddle, and I immediately knew that that was the guy I heard last night. Elvis was different before he became a star. I don't think Elvis ever forgot that I really liked him and thought he was cool before it was popular, too. Mm. And so we used to play football every Sunday. And then, of course, his career took off. And Yeah, I went down to the Memphian Theater one night because I was working my way through college, and I was loading trucks and stuff. And... I went by the movie theater because I knew when Elvis went, he always went late. I hadn't seen him in a while. I got there, and they were just stopping the screening, and he was getting ready to leave. And he was down by the screen, and I was up at the front. And I, I saw him look up, and I looked. I figured, oh, I won't bother him. I'll come back tomorrow night. He looked tired. So Richard Davis, one of the guys with him, said, you know, you want to go with me to take the film back to the film exchange, and then we'll go have breakfast. You know, it's 3 o'clock in the morning now. And I said, oh, let's do it tomorrow. He said, well, we go to California tomorrow. I said, okay. So I went to the film exchange with Richard, and Elvis called Richard and said, do you know how to get a hold of Jerry Schilling? And he said, he's here. 
So he said, ask him if he'll come out to the house. And he said, I need you to go to work for him. He only had like three people working for him at the time. And I said, when? He said, now. So I rushed back out to Graceland, and what's called the jungle room now was just a screened-in porch. And I sit there all day, and we left about midnight that night. Big bus, Elvis did all the driving. We'd stop at truck stops. He would throw the football. I'd run after catch it because they had all these lights out there. By the time we got to California, I probably lost 15 pounds. <laughs> I was said, what happened to that big guy I hired? Uh, to be honest, the more I've seen of the story, I'm surprised that he managed to cope with it so well. I know things didn't turn out mm-hmm. fantastically in the end, but for all that to come to somebody so young... You know, Elvis was a very, very intelligent, bright human being. Uh, he handled it better than anybody in that situation. I don't think that all the business people around handled it as well as Elvis. He always thought in the future. He always could create new things. And and business, because he did so well, got so conservative and so greedy that they didn't give him the opportunities to have a good script. You know, why, why pay for a good script and good co-stars when these movies are making money anyway? Elvis didn't die of drugs. Those were the Band-Aids that covered up his creative disappointments. Before I leave, the fun side of things, we, we've been serious, but... The, the pure fun of being with Elvis, with, with the horses, with the cars. You know, we had great time. We, we had no... We worked hard when we worked, whether it was in the films or on, on the road. But when we played, we played hard. We could play football. We'd start sometimes in the afternoons. Then when it got dark, we'd go to another field with lights on and then go to movies all night after that. Eat hamburgers. Uh, it was like... If you dreamed how you would like to live, it's, I still feel a big, I mean, I, a big part of that's still in me. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it doesn't seem like he's been gone this long. What do you remember most about him? I mean, obviously you miss him. You can hear that mm-hmm. in your voice. What do you remember most about him? Talking with him late at night, you could really see the humanity in him. And really, he was more than just an entertainer. He was a great entertainer, but I don't know, he had some mission. Uh, I always felt very safe with Elvis around. I knew if, if anything ever happened, probably nothing would happen, but you know, he would be there. He was, he was that kind of person. Yeah, I wish I'd seen him live, actually. I mean, there's a lot of these people I wish I'd seen live. Mm. I mean, uh, I did see Sammy Davis live twice. Was he good? And that, he was one of my idols, Sammy Davis. Yeah. Um, but I never saw Elvis live, and I never saw Sinatra live. Mm. But uh, you know what I did, Gavin and Stacey? Do you remember the bit I did? Because they have the big Elvis festival in Port Gold, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had this line in it where I had seven Elvises all lined up by the coffee shop. And I went, oh, Stace, come on, I got seven Elvises here, all gasping for a cappuccino. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great line, isn't it? That's a great line. Because that's apparently the biggest in the world, the Elvis thing in Port Gold. Amazing, amazing. I mean, I, yeah, I, I love love the whole story. Have you ever been to that convention in Port Gold? They, they all get up and sit, they all dress as Elvis. Elvis they come is, from all over the world. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing, yeah. you know. But the funny thing is, I when I when I was last in Tupelo, and it's, it's probably about ten years now since I was last there, yeah. I bumped into somebody who was in school. There was Miss Becky, who'd been in junior yeah. school with him, and then I met somebody on the street. And he was a really old guy. 
really, you know, really old. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, quite large. And he would, he'd been in school with Elvis and he said, yeah, me and Elvis were pal, you know, pals and all that. And you realise that that's what Elvis would look like now, isn't it? You know? He, 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 well, yeah, what would he be? He'd be 80, wouldn't he? Maybe even older, maybe. A bit, bit older, yeah, a bit older than 80. Yeah. 82, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. But still, he went too young, you know what I mean? Yeah. How old was he when he died? 40-something? Just, just a kid. Just a kid, in our opinion. Now. Just a kid, younger than me. Younger than me, <laughs> younger than me either. <laughs> All right. No, I mean, you'll never, Elvis will never die. He's, no. he's the king of rock and roll, and that's it forever. Live forever. Well, it's, uh, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Elvis is love the villain. <laughs>